moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Previously on Cascading Leadership. And I know a lot of people resonate with this as parents. If you have taken time off and you've had a year, two years, five years on your family, and it says, we want to see five plus years of this, three plus years of that, you're looking going, I'm going to have to explain a gap. I'm going to have to tell them. And what I even saying it that way is so explain away. Again, I have potentially a lot of bluster, but I will go in, I will tell them exactly what I did in terms of managing the household and negotiating with toddlers, which are harder than CEOs. I do not see it as a gap, but until we see a difference in your background as a gap, until we stop seeing that as a gap or something you don't have, and we start thinking about as just different experience that's going to give you different skill sets, then I think you're right. I agree that it needs to be about character and what you show, not necessarily the things that you have done to show that. It's a it's a definitely a challenging. And now the conclusion of our interview with Melissa Moody of Gated. The time and seat stuff drives me nuts. And in a lot of ways, when you look at talent and hiring, and that's not the, the broader topic of this discussion, but when you look at talent and hiring, there's a lot of structural defect in how these things are communicated. And it skews automatically to a demographic that is middle class, upper middle class, So even if you have diversity within that demographic, you don't really have very much diversity in thought because Mm -hmm. our worldview as a middle-class person or an upper middle-class or an upper-class person, it's going to be fairly similar. So it excludes automatically large segments of the population who have the traits and the character, but don't even get to be in the room. I think that provides a, a decent sort of conversation point. Now, you spent quite a bit of time at, at Google. When you look at your time in Google, you, you obviously, it shaped you in really strong and positive ways, but what were the driving factors that made you decide, okay, it's time for me to try something different? I like that. Skip right to the end, huh, Jim? I like that. Everybody always wants to know about Google, and I like talking about the reasons why I'm no longer at Google. It was an incredible place to be, and the people And the pace, like I mentioned, were so in tune with what I needed, right? Like I love being surrounded by smart people of all sorts of capabilities. And I love moving fast. And I love having the autonomy to make an impact, to get things done. And all three of those things were such a part of my time there. Absolutely. Facilitated by great leaders and really wonderful teams. By the time it was almost 14 years later, the company, and I I don't fault the company for this, but as companies grow that large, they by necessity lose a lot of those things. The pace slows down with all state, as we were talking about before, like the pace slows down, the levels of bureaucracy increase, the autonomy decreases. And I found myself in that state of being, which I mentioned earlier, which is when things get slow, I just don't feel as alive. I don't feel as sparked and I don't feel as challenged. I like hard things. Maybe that's coming across. Like now that I look back at the things we've chatted about, I really like hard things. And I wasn't feeling terribly challenged by the time that I decided to leave. So I, when I left Google, I left with no job on the outside. I did not leave for another role. I said, Thank you very much. 
I think I'm good here. I'm going to go find my next journey. And that was a big decision. It's not, I don't think it's ever easy to leave a job without anything on the outside. What I did was I gave myself the space to figure out what was next. Leaving Google is like leaving a bubble. Like you have the words, the acronyms that we all use, like the ways of thinking, and you come out into the other world and you have to reevaluate. And I spent a fair amount of time. What I did was I just took on projects left and right. Some of them were paid, but most of them were just pro bono, getting involved with a couple startups. I did a lot of startup tech stars weekend mentoring and judging. I was advising on a couple of young startups. I was doing some work in the areas that I had the most expertise from my time at Google, speaking a lot and trying to figure out what lit my fire next. I was basically looking for my next focus area that I could throw myself into wholly. Way back when we talked about sports, it was you were very focused on something. And I've always had the need to be driving towards something. And that's what I spent a lot of time searching for. So Melissa, you left the world of Google. You did some pro bono work. How did you find your next step in the journey? Yeah, I have known about Gated for actually quite a while. There's actually a great story here, Jim. I think I did tell you this story. But if you remember back, I said I grew up in a household with two older brothers. It turns out that my eldest brother is, is always, even when we were young, he was always coming up with really big ideas, like really great big ideas. And he was known for that in the family. And he was a, a go-to-market exec at a couple of really large companies at Box and Culture Amp. And he had an idea and it was building this. Let me explain to you real quick. I'm going to tie these two together. So it turns out that the person who came up with the idea of Gated, my co-founder, is actually my older brother. So plot twist, right? So I had actually known about Gated for many years. He, Andy is his name. He was a marketer who essentially had been at the in the leadership role of sending out those millions and millions of emails through his marketing teams at these large Silicon Valley companies. And he had caused a lot of email pain. However, he had also been on the end of the receiving pain. I think we are, especially as marketers, you probably have felt the pain of being sold to and being pitched to. And we're the the world, even over the last five to 10 years, has been more and more accelerating that trend. So he was causing the pain, but he also saw that he was feeling the pain of an inbox that was just slammed. He hacked together a, a solution with some automated replies and Zapier and put it together and basically had this thing on his inbox. When you tried to reach him, it said, hi, if I don't know your email, I'm asking you to donate to a charity of my choice in order to reach me. Show me that you value my time and I will get back to you. People started to see it and people started to love it. And it was working really well. Even the people who were paying to reach him were going, this is very cool. How does this work? So that was the idea of Gated. It came out of the pain that he was seeing, this marketer in the middle of creating the pain and feeling it. I had heard about Gated from him for the last two years or so. I'd given him my thoughts on it. We talked about the interest in it. And he was very busy at his big time role and not turning it into anything. When I started doing some pro bono work, I said, Hey, let's look at your market positioning. People are really interested in this. It's starting to pique the interest of not only users, but investors. Let's really think about what you're creating and what the shape of it could be in the market. Is this something worth looking into? So when one of those early pro bono gigs that I did was sitting down with him and looking at what he had as a product. I like to joke that I was the first employee at Gated because I actually came on board officially before he left his, his other job full-time. Starting a startup is not an easy jump. It takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of confidence. 
takes a lot of patience. And yeah, it was interesting because I was working on a lot of other companies. So he eventually basically came to me and said, I know you've been doing pro bono work. Would you be interested in taking this on as a full-time role? Now, as you can imagine, working together is with a sibling could have the question mark over it, but we found an incredible professional relationship. Honestly, we don't even bring it up anymore because it doesn't really matter. My skill set was exactly what he needed. And his skill set is amazing when it comes to leadership. Yeah. I started on board. That would be the fall of 2020. And we have been building fast ever since then. It was just the two of us for quite a while with some developer help. And we've recently hired a head of engineering who is absolutely brilliant, an incredible talent with very low ego. And then we brought on an amazing head of data who could not be happier to look at all the data we have and really create great things. So we're very fortunate. We have a very small team, but we're working incredibly fast. So normally I'm good for one soapbox moment. This show, because it's a special edition, there's going to be two. Actually, I think it's three, but go ahead. Oh, who's who's (laughs) counting? It's really interesting, the story behind how Gated came to be, but I want to wind this back and tie it to the business landscape in general, or at least I want to ask you to tie it to the business landscape in general. So you have Gated as a product, but within the business landscape and leaders of any type, what are they dealing with that necessitates Gated being a solution? That's what I want to understand because there are a ton of trends that are happening and some implications into the world of work on what those trends, if they take hold, what's going to happen. So walk us through that. Yeah, I would agree. And if I miss one of those trends, let's make sure you call me back out on it. I will start with, I think one of the first interesting ones for me is you could just blame product-led growth, or you could blame the shift over the last 10 years. But it used to be that when you had a tool, you would sell it into the executive suite, right? Like you're selling into the C-suite to the CIO or the CEO, and that's where the sale happens. In the world of product-led growth, what's happened is not only do we have a massively burgeoning landscape of tools that are available, right? And I'm not even talking MarTech. I'm talking all of the tools that are out there for different reasons. Not only do we have more tools, but we have those tools now being sold to more people. All of a sudden, you're not selling just to the C-suite. You are selling to anyone who on the day-to-day use of that tool could be the way into a bigger enterprise play. So product-led growth has made a marketplace that is so much more bustling with buy this, try this, let's get and more people being sold more things. Now, a lot of that selling is happening in email, right? There are 345 plus billion emails sent a Day. That is a staggering amount of email. So like my second big trend is that's only email. Think about the dings and the pings from your social networks, all of the things you're getting notified with. We are living in a world that is massively more distracted and full of notifications and information than we've ever had before. If you think about the progress, I don't think we can even comprehend five years or 10 years from now, the amount of information flowing and fundamentally our brains can't even begin to deal with that. You cannot deal with that. And so like number two trend besides the product-led growth is just the overwhelming amount of digital information in this world. The fact that it's coming at us faster and harder than ever before. And frankly, there are very few tools that are giving humans the technology to defend themselves against that influx. We are seeing so many tools built to accelerate that influx. That MarTech marketing tech map with like just the flood of tools, you know, for analytics and all the things that you could have. A lot of that 
I would say the vast majority of that is designed to help steal our attention more, get our attention more, take our attention more. And when I look at what gated can be, or just what any tool, what I would hope for is that we start to build technology on the side of us, that we start actually using all this amazing tech to, to help us as humans filter better and focus better. Like we, there are very few tools that do that. Last soapbox moment on this is that if people aren't mad about it now, they should be. Because what you're being asked to do is deal with everybody else's junk. You throw it, throw it into Jim's inbox, send him whatever you want. Jim will figure out what's important, right? He's going to sort through it, filter through it, turn his notifications off, try to focus on his family when everything's coming in. That shouldn't be the world. We shouldn't have to be beholden to then spending our time on getting rid of it. We should have tools that protect us in the first place. The other part that's uh, that's important to consider is you have all of this inbound stuff and then you pair that with increasing amounts of automation, increasing demands on volume from perspective of the seller to the buyer and the increasing amounts of focus on you got to hit the KPI. So I'm in the revenue side of the house. I'm in sales. So I fight that fight all the time. And Steve Watt talks about this all the time. Don't go out there and pitch slap people left and right. But with most of the world of work, and especially in the revenue side of the house, pushing volume and AI is only getting better. So you're going to have volume that's stacked on top of bot automation. So you have even more stuff that's coming out and people aren't paying attention to oh, I got a 0.08% reply rate on all these emails. Yay. I think we're finally starting to see it break. I think for a long time it was working and more volume worked and more automation worked. And so we kept piling onto that and more tools were being created because it was working. I would posit to you, Jim, that we are hitting a breaking point that it is not working anymore, not even on the sender side, certainly not for those of us trying to get work done. It's pretty interesting to view because... I think you and I and Melissa share similar communities. LB, you're in a lot of the same communities too, where you're seeing, and maybe this is an echo chamber, but you're seeing a return to focus on relationship first and then everything else that flows from it. You're seeing a focus on authenticity first and everything else that flows from it. So I obviously have a natural affinity to people, products, whatever, that focus on the relationship aspect of human dynamics first before all other things. So with that being said, I think there's something really unique about how Gated manages this that we haven't talked about. And we always talk about triple bottom lines. So the cynic that's out there and say, oh, great, this is another conversation about a tool. Woohoo. How does this advance the needle beyond just being a tool that you can use to get some of your time back, which is important? Where else is really where the win is when it comes to Gated? For me... I think both the biggest uphill, but also the biggest exciting thing about what we're doing is it's fundamentally pushing a behavioral shift in how we think about our own attention. I think for a long time, we have said, oh, look at all this great data. Look at all these things. I'll take it and I'll deal with it. I think we have to get to a point where we say, my attention and my focus is really valuable. And if I value myself, I'm going to take steps that say, if you are going to get a piece of my time, you need to prove it. And that's back to that human relationship thing, right? If it's just a bot, it's not valuing your attention. But if somebody really wants to get through to you, Gated still lets that happen. And I think a lot of tools in the past have failed because they've blocked communication. Whereas a lot of what we're doing is saying, 
put good human communication at the root of all things and use technology to actually protect communication and protect individuals and protect what they're trying to do with their valuable time. And the system will actually write itself. I think when you, when we look at the incentives of, around doing that, when we just put a small little cost to reach someone and it gets rid of all the non-human, non-well-intentioned communication, the stuff that's left is really bliss, right? It's what's inside that gate of yours. It's what you've decided to let into your life. And I don't think we think that way as humans right now. I think we're not willing to set boundaries. I was listening to a great kind of wellness podcast the other day, and she was really talking about boundaries. It's one of the hardest things that humans can do is to say, this is a boundary. This is what's important. It's a very hard thing to do. And so from Gated's perspective, if we can start using technology to help people do that, I think it's going to really potentially change how we behave as a species. With every statement, you were stealing away every question that I had. I think you oh, did no. an excellent job of covering the, the, what I was thinking about as far as gated. Because to me, exactly what you're saying, so my apologies in advance if I'm parroting, but I think when you think about the human brain has not evolved much over the last 100 years and the acceleration and pace at which we're trying to keep up with technology, it's important that on, on these digital platforms that we do have tools like gated that allow us to really fight back. And so when you said defend and defend was too strong, actually the word that I was thinking about when you were saying that is defend. I think that we are in a position where we are to a large degree doing that. How do you think gated is disruptive with this approach? When we look at what's been done in the past and frankly, what hasn't worked. So back in 2004, I think it was, there's a really great quote from Bill Gates, where he basically said, spam will probably be solved with a monetary approach. And spam really has not been solved yet, right? It's just more and more. We're filtering it out. The big players are trying to hide it, but it's just more. It just keeps pounding. And that Nigerian prince won't leave me alone. He's got a good offer, Jim. You should probably take him up on it. It might be a valuable connection for you. But the, the point that Bill had was you have to change incentives. And what's happened now is there is no incentive to slowing down the pace or to sending less email or to using less automation. There is no incentive except what Jim mentioned, which is it's not working very well anymore. That was the difference, right? The incentives are not there for a good, valuable communication. The incentives are there to send more and send it faster and use bots. So what we've done is put in essentially a marginal cost. You can, I like to sometimes compare it to physical mail. If somebody, if everybody in the world wrote you a letter and they just drove it up and dropped all it on your porch. That's what we're doing with email today. And it's not okay. It's just not okay. Everybody should be angry about that. It's assumptive and it's frustrating. Anyway, what we've done is originally with Gated, it was called the postage stamp for email because what we're saying is for a very small cost, what it does is it changes incentives. And maybe that goes back to like my businessman father, but like if you use some financial incentives and the cost to get through is $1, $2. It's small. Putting that there shifts things dramatically in terms of the volume that can get through, can no longer get through unless there's a human on the line. Even just that huge shift, right? Like the volume of emails that are just being sent and nobody's on the other line, those fade away. And you're left with messages that actually matter. Maybe they matter because you knew a sender. Maybe they matter because someone actually donated to reach you. But it changes the incentives and it's actually kickstarting like a, a whole slippery slope into what happens when everybody then has gated. If everybody has that, 
it's going to have some serious ripple effects, not just for our own, how we use email, but how the entire email marketing landscape changes. When you're describing what you're saying, so to me, it sounds like more of the strategy, more of the mechanics. But we talked about this a little bit earlier. What's the story? I love it. The story for me is a little bit tied to actually the marketing persona. For me, the bigger story is, the big story is we live in a world of digital distraction and there's only going to be more. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to slow that down. Yes, we start using technology and psychology to protect ourselves. And so for me, the big story is let's start using the tools that they've been using against us to help ourselves. That's the wonderful story. If you take it down one level, I actually think there's a story around simply the fact from a marketer's perspective, we have caused this pain. We are creating this pain. I write a lot about that. It's time for marketers who are now feeling the pain to actually be the ones to make a shift. A lot of other people will benefit from it, but I see marketers as being right in the middle of that battle for this broken landscape. Now that's at an email level. The first story I told is at the bigger level, the macro level. That's a brilliant story because what, to me, what I hear, what Gated is doing is it's a culture shift, right? It's the beginning of a culture shift. So when you think about digital and what digital has done, this is really an innovative way that we are able to fight back, right? And it'd be a true benefit in the long run. There's a term, you'll hear attention economy out there a lot. And when we think about the attention economy, it's frankly, it's about stealing your attention. It's about people trying to get your attention. We're we're aiming for something in my mind, I like to call it attention tech, where it's actually about protecting your attention. So it's tech to defend that attention as opposed to steal it away from us. And I'm really excited because I don't believe it's just an email. I believe it's much, much bigger than that. Yeah, Jim has talked about the the idea and notion of the triple bottom line. And I think that this really feeds into a huge responsibility, which is corporate social responsibility. Yes. And so again, we're ding, ding, gated. I think it's really important that, again, I, I don't know if I, I shared this, but I actually teach marketing. And mm-hmm. so we were, I had this chicken or the egg conversation about people profit planet and which one comes first. And it's interesting how you get arguments for different different elements, which one is DP. It's interesting to to hear you say that. And so I'm interested in hearing more about the idea of the corporate responsibility and the charitable opportunities as well. Yeah. You know, there's so many great companies that start with the nonprofit side and move into the business side, right? They start with a mission to do good and move into business. Then there's also a lot of interesting companies where they're starting with a business problem and ending up benefiting the nonprofits. And Gated falls into the latter. And I'll explain why if people aren't aware, those payments that people pay, the marginal cost I talked about to reach a user's inbox, what we've done is structured it so those payments go to support the user's charity or the charity that the person using this tool has picked. Now, what's really interesting to go back to the personal side, you're defending your attention, but by aligning with a nonprofit, it's really getting back to that personal component, right? Like it's not just my inbox is a personal space, but this is a cause that matters to me that's going to benefit when I'm using this tool. It is, we're very fortunate that our business model allows us to bring some value to nonprofits. 
quote unquote, out of thin air. Now let's be honest, it's coming out of marketing budgets, but we're very fortunate that we're allowed to essentially tackle a business problem and then still create good in the world. That's a great element. That's what caught my attention when you and I first connected, but we all know that there are going to be people out there that are going to raise their eyebrows and say, how do we know what charities are being donated to? How much of it is being donated? Who controls that? All these sort of questions up to and including, I'd rather just donate on my own to my local charity. And whether that happens or not, that's a different question. But how does gated and the structure of the marginal cost or the nominal cost, how is that all factored into those sort of questions that the cynics are obviously going to lob out there? I think foundationally, you got to bring in people who know that space. First of all, we have advisors that are in the non, like deep in the nonprofit space. So we're thinking about it with the right people on your team, right? That's always important. You get the right people to think about it in the right way. Second is you don't lead with this is a way to give value to your charity. That's not why Gated exists. We're very lucky in that way. I heard from somebody the other day, they said, this isn't how I'd want to give to charity. And I said, no, it's not how I give to charity either. If you want to give to charity, you give to charity. But if you're also using email, you could also just flip this on and benefit charity even more. It's an yes and, right? It's not a either or. This is definitely not a replacement to giving. Shouldn't be a replacement to going out and volunteering at the soup kitchen. This is simply a above and beyond. You can think of Amazon Smile, Similar idea, rounding up at the bank, we're seeing at grocery stores. Same thing. A brilliant nonprofit leader, Johnny Immerman, has a company called Close Talk. And it's basically branded t-shirts where people wear the logo of their favorite nonprofit. Every time somebody sends out the challenge email with Gated, they're sharing their favorite nonprofit. So it's not even only dollars that you're supporting your nonprofit with. You're telling people every day this is a really cool organization. So I get much path, like this is not a dollars play. This is you personally showing support, aligning yourself with the cause. And yeah, even if you didn't get any dollars, you're literally sending out free brand impressions for these, these organizations. So yeah, that, that's usually what I come back to be with. No, it should absolutely not replace giving. It's not in the same scope as that. But what it is, it's an extra way to give with something you're doing every day. All of that is amazing. And I think additionally, what caught my attention that I think you just glazed over, which I thought was really powerful, was the attention tech. I think that's like when you all were talking and I was thinking, I'm like, I have, I literally have one of my emails set up as pretty much a junk email because mm-hmm. of just the inundation of what we receive. And I got to believe that people that gated will will resonate on so many different levels. When I think about all that you've talked about, what would you say what would be the key elements that you would want our audience to take away about the mission, the vision, the why, whatever that is behind gated and what you find to be the most important and impactful that you want to leave the audience with, what would that be? I think one, and it's important I say everyone because our tool is free for everyone. Like we are not the way that we're structured. Everyone should have access to this. So I, when I say everyone, I don't say that lightly. One is out there doing great things, but they cannot do those great things unless they are able to focus. And if we continue to live in a world that is increasingly distracted and increasingly pulling us away from our focus, we as humans lose the ability to achieve and do such great things. And so the takeaway for me is we need to think of ourselves in that way. I wanna give everyone that confidence to say that I am out there doing great things. And I deserve the ability to focus and I deserve to not be beholden to an increasingly digitally distracted world. And it's not an easy shift. But I do believe if we start building the technology 
and we start thinking about how to shift people's psychological thinking about that scenario, we're going to move into a world where we can continue to have great human success in an increasingly busy world. And if we don't do it now, I worry that we're going to lose that ability to find success in a chaotic world. So I really, fundamentally, the thing I'd like people to take away is almost the idea of get ticked off. Like you can't live this way. You're going to have to make a change and you are worth it and you're going to do great things, but you've got to help yourself get there. Melissa, I'm glad you're at the helm at Gated. And like I said, the attention tech is something that I think everyone has to listen to and key into because you're right. It's a it's an application that I think helps to level the playing field. And I hope our audience has had the opportunity to hear and catch all of that. I'm also hopeful that they will reach out to you and learn more about you, learn more about Gated, because I, I do believe it is, it is definitely an important element in our lives that we need to actually defend our attention and fight for some of that back. For those of you that are listening, thank you that you can always find out when the latest drop is going to be for our episode on one of our social media channels, whether it's Facebook, then TikTok, or what's the other one? YouTube. So we're there on all those particular platforms. We thank you, Melissa, for joining the show and have a great night, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.